I'm Stephen Hunt. Welcome to the Active Performance Podcast, a podcast that gives top global managers and their teams the confidence and power of clarity to grow their international business in innovative ways. This week, trust and dialogues. How to use trust to make the most out of your dialogues with customers, colleagues, and suppliers. Alex Ferguson was one of the best football managers in one of the best leagues in the world, the Premier League. Football experts, of which I'm not one, said that he did a brilliant job of transforming the team at least three times in the 26 years he was at the top. I think one of the key characteristics of Alex Ferguson's management style was his ability to take difficult decisions immediately. The story goes that when David Beckham started playing with his hair more than playing with the football, Ferguson didn't wait to show him the exit. He decided immediately. Beckham went on to the glitz and glamour of Real Madrid. Ferguson went on to win multiple cups and titles. You decide which is more important. The aim in decision making is always to have two ideal characteristics. Number one, fast decisions, and number two, high quality decisions. Both of these depend on trust, and that's because we have access to more data than ever before, but we also have more complexity and more competition than ever before, and the result is that it's almost impossible to take excellent decisions on your own. As I sit here, I struggle to think of anyone at the top of an organisation who consistently takes fast, superb decisions without getting expert input from other people. My friend who's a Liverpool fan would argue against that. I can hear his voice now. He'd say Jurgen Klopp is a brilliant decision maker. And while Jurgen Klopp comes across as a great guy, I'd be very surprised if he decides on his own all of the time. The fact is today that we are interdependent. We need other people for decision-making input, analysis and evaluation. We need their expertise, their wisdom and their insights. And at the heart of that interdependent relationship is trust. To make fast decisions, high-quality decisions, we need trustful dialogues. So what do we mean or what do I mean when we say trustful dialogue? One of the best definitions I've ever heard is this, which you might like to use. Trust is like the air that we breathe. We only think about it when it's not there or when it's toxic. That really encapsulates what trust is about. Unfortunately, that's an abstract definition. So if trust is an abstract concept, the symptoms are very clear when we see them at work. We all know the symptoms of a low-trust, toxic culture. Some examples People standing still, people being inactive instead of taking responsibility and ownership. Also people criticising colleagues. Trash talk, criticism, negative feedback is an absolute killer for risk-taking and innovation. People not showing appreciation or gratitude. So receiving the simple words, well done or thank you, are like Christmas presents. They're given once a year. People playing politics and trying to manipulate everything. People who cannot deal with conflict, so the climate at work becomes toxic. People or managers with too much micromanaging and controlling behaviour over the people they're meant to be leading. And we all know the consequences of low-trust toxic cultures. Missed opportunities to expand business, increase sales and grow. 
less innovation because people are content and happy to be where they are. They stay in their comfort zones. They come to work, they do their hours, but they get out as soon as they can. Missed opportunities and less innovation can happen in a business that's actually performing reasonably well. Unfortunately, low trust is stopping that reasonable performance from moving up into outstanding performance. At the other end of the scale, you have low trust, which is breaking the company. And examples of that are aplenty. Number one, unhappy customers. I've never seen a low trust culture that consistently gives five-star customer service. High staff turnover, high fluctuation. You lose your best employees first. They have higher costs because productivity is lower and they have higher costs because of employee stress and people being absent. It's important to see what I call the full trajectory of trust. That's the line of trust from the bottom to the top. Trust is needed to move a dysfunctional, underperforming culture or low-performing culture to become a functional one. Trust is also needed for the trajectory of trust to go beyond that. It takes profound, deep trust to move a functional group up to become a high-performance, outstanding group. And it's outstanding group cultures that win. To summarise, we need trust. It sounds good, but there's a problem. The financial pressure to mistrust in business is huge. The auto industry, the banking industry and the pharma industry are classic examples of this. If you speak to individual managers in any of those industries, they would describe themselves as trustworthy. I believe them. Their friends and their family would literally trust them with their lives. But the working context can push people to behave in untrustworthy ways. For example, standard practices in the industry or the pressure from powerful customers to behave in certain ways or an unethical boss who's standing in your way of a promotion or a bonus or a better position. This is the intersection of power and trust. Being open, honest and respectful sounds great, but add power into that equation and suddenly the daily practice of trusting everyone is not so easy. Global managers face this all the time and it's difficult. The big auto manufacturers are constantly trying to push development costs onto their weaker tier two suppliers. In the banking industry, in the run-up to the financial crisis, some small regional banks tried to swim with the global financing sharks in London and New York. Unfortunately, the outcomes were as predictable as they were painful. In both the auto industry and the banking industry, in those cases, the trust levels were toxic. So how do you get out of it? Well, there are three obvious ways to avoid the power-trust trap. Two are legal options, and one is relational. So let's start with the legal options. One option is to use open book contracts. That's where services and products are priced and charged on the basis of costs plus a certain margin. These arrangements are not perfect, but it can help in many situations where there's low trust or there's a standard cost to whatever's been supplied. The second legal option is to write collaboration incentives into the contract. For example, they might cover how to split intellectual property rights of research and development initiatives. The third option is relational. And I find this is something that's more interesting and one to concentrate on. We can avoid the power trust trap by establishing a positive relationship. And I've saw this used to great effect by a tier two auto supplier. 
What they'd very cleverly done is filled their customer teams with skilled engineers who were trained to work closely with their customers who were the big auto manufacturers. And what this company had done, the tier two supplier is, through the whole process, that's from initial contracting through design and development into specifications, production, delivery, and so on, they'd managed to get a very close relationship, a close contact with their counterparts in the big auto manufacturers. I was lucky enough to ask a group of directors what were the characteristics of their customer relationships, and this is what they said. They had five principles which were actually unwritten. You couldn't see them anywhere. So they weren't values that were stuck on the wall. They weren't stuck in a PowerPoint presentation. They were lived. And the five principles were these. Number one, we challenge the customer and they challenge us. Number two, we have Chinese walls in our company and the owner says we must stick to them. So we don't share anything that the customer wants to keep a secret. We don't share it internally. The third principle, we give them constructive feedback or positive feedback, even if they are negative with us. We just stick to giving constructive and positive feedback. And they choked, the customer soon learns, which I liked. The fourth principle, we spend time with the customer. We spend time in their offices. We spend time socializing. We work hard, but we like to have fun when it fits. And the final principle is our relationship is not based on you must do X because it's in the contract specifications. Our relationship is open exchange. We will do anything for the customer within reasonable limits. And often this actually leads to quite comfortable contract extensions because we know what the customer is thinking already. So no surprise then that this small tier two supplier, which on paper was much weaker than all of its customers, is now consistently rated as an excellent supplier by those very same big customers. I think the tier two supplier is clever. Their close collaboration across the world has removed the power element in the relationship with the customers. The relationships are the opposite of toxic. They understand their customers because they listen to their customers. And this is the key point for all of us. Listening comes from dialogues, not monologues. Dialogues with skillful listening lead to better understanding. And it is understanding that is the foundation of deep trust. This is why trustful dialogues with all of our key stakeholders are so important. I'm Stephen Hunt. Thank you for listening. Join me next time for more on how top global managers use confidence and the power of clarity to grow their business.